Hello and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me as always is our fabulous co-host, Billboard.com senior editor Katie Atkinson. Oh, hello, Keith. Hello, Katie. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. After two weeks of special episodes, uh, we are back. Back to our daily routine. Back in uh, better than ever. Regularly scheduled programming. Uh, if, if you haven't <laughs> figured this out, for, for two weeks we had special special standalone episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had our 150th episode, which was... Sesquicentennial. Co- our sesquicentennial, uh, co-hosted by uh, former MTV VJ and author Dave Holmes. And then a week later we did a special Ask the Pop Shop uh, episode, which featured an interview with a hosier. So we are back talking charts talking chart action because you know the billboard pop shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on billboards weekly charts in addition you can always count on a lively discussion and a slightly out of breath host about the week's big (laughs) pop news fun chart stats and stories and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop this week on the show We've got a new number one on the Billboard 200. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> huh? Huh? It's another album by Drake. That's what I was just going to say. Future and Drake dropped another album. <laughs> yes. Drake just released Views Part 2. Um, it's actually from Blink-182. Uh, the rock band's new album, California, bumps Views from the top slot after an incredible nine long weeks. But... Will Drake return to number one? Probably. Yeah, stay tuned. (laughs) Um, Plus, we will talk about the Billboard Hot 100, where Fergie brings her MILF money into the top 40. You may have... She delivers her MILF money. Yes. (laughs) She delivers that MILF money. She got that. Um, And also, Sia's Cheap Thrills continues to climb up the list as well, as does Calvin Harris and Rihanna's single Together. Plus, we have got an interview with the amazing, awesomely fantastic, legendary Daryl Hall of Hall & Oates. Ah, so jealous. So crazy. Katie got to talk to Daryl Hall. Ah. Um, <laughs> I still so, don't believe it. Um, so we'll have that later on in the show, so make sure you stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss a single episode, and give us a rating or review while you're at it. If you have any questions for us, Feel free to tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield, that's C-A-U-L-F-I-E-L-D, or K-T Atkinson. Now, I've seen some people tweet the wrong Katie. Oh, shoot. So, Is there a Catkinson as well? Well, some people were just putting your whole name like Katie, K-A-T-I-E. Oh. It is actually the letters K T. Atkinson. Atkinson. Sorry, A-T-K-I-N-S-O-N. I got too clever for you, Twitter. Um, so, well, you're just trying to save characters. Look for the bio with the billboard editor in it. Yeah. And uh, then you'll know. There you go. Um, if you want to explore more podcast, more podcasts, <laughs> more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcast. Well, as we said earlier, we've sort of been gone. From, on the go. On the go. Um, I've been in London the past two weeks. Um uh, though we still had shows, mm-hmm. we we just did those shows a little bit in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were still fresh and new if you hadn't heard them before. Indeed, it's like NBC's must see TV lineup from the 1990s. <laughs> just because, just because you like you haven't seen them, so they're new to you. Yeah. Hey. Um, I, I was in London for the past two weeks, and then part of that time I actually went to Stockholm, Sweden. And I say this because. I normally talk about my vacations. However, there was music-related activities yes. that I did. I went to the ABBA, the museum. Yes. 
It is Ada Colon, the museum <laughs> in Stockholm, Sweden. I was so excited about it. Um, I'd never been to any of the sort of Scandinavian sort of northern Neither countries. have I. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and everyone in Stockholm speaks English. That's very is, helpful. I guess they as all. a tourist. They all, yeah. I mean, they all learn. Uh, they all learn. The, the folks there all learn English like from third grade onwards. We need to really think about doing something like that here. Yes. Because <laughs> you start me at, like freshman, sophomore year in high school on Spanish, and I'm going to have the saddest Spanish of all time. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. My French is a little bit rusty, yeah. even though I took French for six years. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It is uh, a city that is just built on nothing but a bunch of islands. And it has some serious musical history. Oh, my goodness. ABBA, Ace of Bass, Roxette, Max Martin, uh, Robin. Did I mention Robin? You didn't yet, but now you did. It goes on and on and And then on. Max Martin's connection to, like, everybody in the pop world in general. It's yes. like, yeah. Max Martin, you know, produced Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling, you know, Tons and tons of Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney Spears, Pink, Kelly Clarkson, Taylor Swift, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And it was just so cool to be in a city where all of that incredible pop music comes from. So while I was there, I visited the ABBA, the museum, which was amazing. Um, And inside the museum, they have an exhibition for the Swedish Music Hall of Fame. Um, And there are moments... Uh, in said exhibition that recognized Max Martin and uh, Dennis Pop, uh, who produced Ace of Bass and was kind of the mentor of Max Martin. So that was amazing. And then on top of that, I went and found the address of the original studios where Max Martin and uh, Dennis Pop worked in the 90s up until 2000. Um, and I'm, I can't pronounce it correctly. It's a Chiron Studios or Curon, C-H-E-I-R-O-N. You know, just pick one and we'll believe you. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, and that's where they recorded Britney Spears' Baby One More Time and NSYNC's first album and Ace of Bass. And it's just this, like, little unassuming storefront on, like, sort of a main drag. And next door is, like, a sort of a antique shop and like a bar and kind of it makes me think about like 15 year old Britney Spears going to the studio coming from the south in the US and going to Sweden to record this music and it's probably freezing cold yeah and she's going to this like really anonymous looking (laughs) like building and it's just this tiny little and then it actually turns into you know an insane career and yes so it was i mean i didn't go inside the building because no it's no longer max martin right. studio he's, they should really think about turning that into like a museum of some nature well it uh there's now a a record label i think called roxy recordings okay. is there and um it's i think it's still there at least that's what it says on the outside when i went there uh they weren't open okay but i did peer through the windows and look inside i'm like wow imagine like at one point like justin timberlake was just like meandering around in here like recording like i want you back or something <laughs> um so anyway i did that um and you saw the beatles and the rolling stones yep yep that's what i did yeah uh yeah well i didn't keith know the was... beatles and the stones actually were, did a show together yeah isn't that crazy um well keith was gallivanting around europe i was gallivanting across uh California uh-huh. and uh, I was in Santa Barbara for a bit and I was also in San Diego for a bachelorette party and the bride is a huge fan of live music and just music in general and so uh, her sister who organized it all found a Beatles versus the Rolling Stone show and it was like an alternating cover band Beatles cover band started 
uh, Rolling Stones cover band uh, went after and they just alternated the whole night and they did it all chronologically. So they kind of started with like the Ed Sullivan show era Beatles and uh, the very the finale was them performing together for the first time. Wow. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones on the same you stage. You were there. Oh my God, you guys! It was epic. I, I saw this. <laughs> I saw this on Katie's Snapchat. By the way, <laughs> I was this very is, active on this Snapchat. Is, this, this is weekend. why I bring it up. What, was it actually any good? Oh, it was fun. It, it was, was fun. very fun. Uh, the I guy it was good. You said it was fun. It, it, fun, it was fun. <laughs> it was an experience. <laughs> yes. Um, there were a few times when I like caught people singing the wrong lyrics to both song like both band songs how tipsy were get they? it together guys get it together the guy who played jagger was pretty funny like definitely did the whole like you know impersonation lots of aerobics and oh yeah and, and a lot of like strutting. shirts cut down to his navel perfect uh yeah it was it was pretty it was a really really fun night yeah <laughs> that's a hoot yeah um well, uh, so we're back. Enough about us. Enough about us. <laughs> but it was music related. It, this is true. So, you know, I mean, come on. Um, let's talk about the charts. Uh, this week on the Billboard 200, after nine long weeks, Drake's Views is not number one because Blink-182's California debuts at number one. Um, it is the Rock Act's second number one album and actually first since Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. <laughs> Gotta love those. Funny. Those blink titles. Those blink boys <laughs> back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, so the new album, California, starts with 186,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending July 7th. Of that, 172,000 were in traditional album sales. And that's actually the third largest sales week for a rock album this year, behind only the debuts of David Bowie's Black Star and Radiohead's A Moon Shape pool a moon shaped pool not a mooned shape pool a whole new meaning it's a whole new meaning <laughs> so as i said before this was uh blink's second number one album and first since 2001 with take off her pants and jacket and that was actually believe it or not 15 years and 17 days ago if we look at the exact chart dates between the two albums um, and that is the longest gap between number one albums for an act since 2012 wow um I would ask Katie to guess who it was, but... But it's right there in front of me. The answer's right in front of her. <laughs> that year, Lionel Richie returned to number one after 25 years, six months, and 25 days when his Tuskegee set rose to the top of the list dated April 28, 2012. It was his first number one since Dancing on the Ceiling, Woo! spent its second and final week atop the chart way back on October 4th, 1986. Here's a fact that I did not put in my story on Sunday. Ooh, exclusive to the Pop Shop podcast. Exclusive (laughs) to the podcast. (laughs) Blink-182's wait between number ones is the longest for a group since Sade waited 24 years and six days between Promise in 1986 and Soldier of Love in 2010. Uh, Now, you may say, wait, isn't Sade a woman? Wait, isn't Sade just one lady? (laughs) You That's may, what I was thinking. <laughs> you may think that, but Sade is indeed a band, and it is fronted by the vocalist Sade Adu. Okay. You may still feel I'm lying to you. If you go to Sade's website, all of the information on their bio says Sade is a band, and there are three other members in Sade, and they have been a band. And if you look at their Grammy Award history on Grammys on the Grammy Awards website— mm-hmm. Uh, when you look up Sade's wins, it says Sade, and then in parentheses it says Sade Adu, some other guy, mm-hmm, some other guy, and some mm-hmm, other guy. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's it's confusing, but they're going to great pains to make sure that people know that it's a band. It's a group, yeah. Which is, 
you don't think that because all the album covers just have a big picture of Sade. You might not think that, but you now know that. You now know that Sade yes. is indeed a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and one more uh, thing, because I had a fun time doing the longest gap between number ones thing. Um, <laughs> Blink-182's gap between number ones is the longest for a rock act. That's solo, band, group, whatever. Since ACDC waited 26 years and 10 months between For Those About to Rock, We Salute You, in 1982, and Black Ice in 2008. So, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. I, I and I mean, Blink-182 has had such a uh, tumultuous uh, yes. last 15 years. And so I am excited that they have new music. And I have to say, like, it's my favorite stuff I've heard from them probably since the year 2000. Really? So, yeah, I think it's it's a great album. Well, do you think, do you think a lot of the interest in sort of the rejuvenated Blink has to do with the fact that uh, Tom DeLonge, who was one of the co-founders of the group, departed the act after... Some tumultuousness. Yeah. Um, Basically, yeah, I mean, you... Yeah, I I feel like uh, the guys in the group besides Tom, Mark, and and Travis, Travis. they very much wanted to keep the sound that made them famous and made them beloved back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Tom wanted to take them in a new direction, which uh, both of those things are admirable. I feel like I understand both of those perspectives. And so the minute they replaced Tom with Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio... Uh, who Alkaline Trio has always had a similar-ish kind of vibe to Blink, not not nearly as like jokey as Blink, mm-hmm. but a similar vibe sound, pop-punk sound. And the minute Matt came in, it was like they were able to make that great music and that great sound from that time, but also like move it forward in like an awesome way. And it's a great album. It must have been difficult uh, for, I mean, I'm sure Tom was very much thinking like he want, he probably wanted to keep, I mean, I don't really know. I'm just thinking that when you have those kind of like that, those sort of arguments within the group of where you want to take the sonic direction of your band, you know, you you probably want to stick with the group and be like, no, I still want to be in Blink. I just want to expand our horizons and go in this direction. He literally wanted to grow up, like because Blink is a is a juvenile band. The, right. the album titles alone, and even on the new album, they have some ludicrous like they have these little like 15 second songs on the new album that are just like one liners. Like, uh, I think the song is called We Built a Pool or I Want to Build a Pool or what oh, I'm going to just let's build a pool, something along those lines. Something involving a pool. And it's a like, pool. And it's like, I wanted to see half naked dudes, so I built a, this pool. Oh, that's what it's called. So I built this pool. <laughs> just got to it. There you go. And that's literally the only lyric in the song and it's 15 seconds long and that's it. And so they're still like jokey and, you know, the frat humor or whatever. But like the music's great. So yeah. it's, it's, it's great. And I think fans are, are happy to have them back. Well, um, we're happy to have them back at number one. Yes. It's, 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 Welcome it's, back. It's been too long. Um, but you may wonder, will Blink hold at number one? Will they, Keith? Uh, probably not. <laughs> um, it seems, it appears, at least as, as of this recording on Monday, uh, it appears that Drake's Views, an album you may have heard of, yes, possibly going back to number one <laughs> next week. Um, and the the next biggest contender is probably Schoolboy Q's new album. Oh, yeah. But it's still a good chunk away, in, at least in terms of the very early forecasts, of beating Drake's estimated number this okay. week. So 
it appears that Drake will go for at 10th week at number one. Um, you were going to tell me something. Well, I was going to say, like, if we go over to our Billboard Hot 100 Ooh, chart, over there. has anyone unseated him at the top of that chart this week? I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> I, I do. And the answer is no. <laughs> Drake um, is still number one. One Dance is still number one <laughs> for a ninth week. Um, more excitingly, though, there is some action inside the top 10. Yeah. Um, Rihanna... And Calvin Harris, or Calvin Harris featuring Rihanna, uh, this is what you came for, uh, moves up to a new high. It jumps five to four on the chart. And Sia's Cheap Thrills featuring Sean Paul also rises. And I will get that information for you in just one moment. I will tell you in the meantime that uh, Cheap Thrills is just such a great song. And I love the message because it is anti like every other message in pop songs. It's like... I don't need money. Like I'll just go out and dance and have a great time. It jumps six to five, um, and it is Sia's first top five hit as a lead artist, and it ties her best rank overall. This is from Gary Truss's story about the Hot 100 that posted on Monday. Sia previously reached uh, number five in May of 2012 as the featured act on Flo Rida's Wild Ones. Um, and Sean Paul, however... Uh, meanwhile, ranks in the top five for the first time in nearly 10 years since When You Gonna Give It Up To Me, featuring Keisha Cole, rose to number three back in September 2006. So Sia, if she goes any higher, she'll have her highest charting single, period. I, this really surprises me because in my mind, I think, didn't Chandelier go that high? Nope. And then I think, wait, didn't Titanium go higher than that? But no. the answers are no. The answers are no. <laughs> they did not. Um, and the thing is, Cheap Thrills continues to gain at airplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary also noted that it is the airplay gainer on the Billboard Hot 100 for a fifth consecutive week. So oh. that means it is the the, the, the fastest rising song. So on there's the no stopping it. So it probably will keep rising. Yeah, but you we'll have see. you have that Justin Timberlake and that Drake song ahead of them in yep. the top two, which neither of them seem to want to budge. Yep. So the top five is interesting, but that top two kind of boring. Um, <laughs> I mean, to some people. I mean, I, as a chart geek, I want to see a little bit more action at the top Wait, of the Wait, I'm sorry. What's number three? Number three this week is uh, Don't Let Me Down, The Chainsmokers, ah, yeah. featuring Dea. Mm-hmm. It holds at number three. Um, it continues to actually uh, gain a little bit, but it looks like number three may be where it finishes off. Okay. Unless something miraculous happens in the next week or so. Okay. Um, outside of the top ten, there is a debut in the top 40. What? This is an exciting debut. It's, I, Katie's arms like went up. She, she, she was making like a rocky pose. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, did I miss something on the list? Um, Fergie, Milf Money. The Duchess is back. The Yes. The Duchess is back. Fergie Ferg. Oh, yeah. Fergalicious. De- debuts at number 34 <laughs> with, uh, actually, I, I guess you call it Milf Money. It's M period I period L period F period dollar sign. She's been hashtagging it, just MILF money spelled out. Because you can't put a dollar sign in a hashtag. You can't put periods in hashtags either. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that either. She probably should have thought of that before she named this darn song. I huh? have to say, the punctuation, the the spelling of this as a copy editor bothers me, but... It's a terror. <laughs> it's a terror. But the, Fergie and the Black Eyed Peas in general are, are famous for that, so I should be used to it by now. Well, it's, it's her 11th solo charting single on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, it sold 65,000 downloads in its first week. 
um, possibly previewing her second album, which is rumored to be titled Double Duchess. That's a great name. It's got to be called that. You know. <laughs> you can't give up that title. Her follow-up to, my God, from 10 years ago, The Duchess, her first and so far only solo album back in 2006. The Duchess misspelled with a T. Yeah. <laughs> Just back to that copy out of there. It's like Double Dutch, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sure. This is from a woman with songs like London Bridge and Fergalicious. Yes, I know this. My humps. My lovely lady lumps. Humps. Humps, humps, humps. So let's talk about this song and music video. Because we have, we've purposely, Katie and I have not talked about this to each other. We've said, let's hold it for the, let's hold it for the podcast. And I know that the song came out. I'm not sure. Did it come out after the show last week? Uh, Yes. So, yeah. it might have been actually no. It was the week before that. It might have been the week really? before. Yeah, it was oh. a while back. Anyway, what do we think of this um, of this song? I mean, I feel like you can't talk about the song without talking about the video. No, let's talk about the song first. Well, it's it's interesting in a in a post Iggy Azalea world to have Fergie back in our lives, and she channels actually uh, a little bit of Iggy Azalea in the song. Well, that's the thing. I. I it's an interesting evolution of things. Like I remember, I feel like Fergie was like this fun novelty when she came out with the Duchess. Um, you know, she had been primarily a singer with the Black Eyed Peas, but she did a lot of rapping on uh, the Duchess. Right. And now we've had Iggy come out, and it's it's it almost makes Fergie's whole thing seem a little tired. That's all. <laughs> so you you think? But mil- I also love her. Like you, I have. You a, think milf money is kind of a tired thing? Yeah, like it's not breaking any new ground. If it, it felt fun and novel in ten years ago, but this does does not to me. It, the the song itself is sort of um, as I tweeted. Reviews of the song tend to be in two different camps. One, yes, Queen Mama. <laughs> And this is garbage. <laughs> There's no in between. Okay, but so I know you don't want to talk about the video yet, but uh, the song itself, I mean, it's called Milf Money. I love the like, idea. It's like maybe two minutes and 40 seconds. I love the idea of a song celebrating hot moms. Like, I love that idea because when has there been a pop song, like other than Stacy's mom, maybe, about like hot moms? And so, like, Fergie's like, I'm going to rep. I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm 20 again. You know, I'm going to rep where I'm at right now, which is I'm a badass mom. And then she collected all these badass moms. In a video. I mean, we're talking about Victoria's Secret model moms, Kim Kardashian, Chrissy Teigen. Like, it's just a crazy collection of hot ladies who are all moms. I feel like, though, when you listen to the song itself without the video, you don't get that female empowerment badass mom vibe that she was trying to go for. (laughs) You get the... You know, uh, uh, I'm a MILF, and I got your MILF money. And I don't know. It's just like, it's the idea of, like, what the original, what MILF actually means. Not her new twisted interpretation of, you know, powerful, empowered ladies who are, like, incredible women who are also moms. Like, uh, you know what MILF actually means? It means something else. Well, yes, but I think that she's also trying to say, like, moms can still be sexy. And so she is trying to embrace the MILF original meaning. Yeah, but when you listen to the song, (laughs) when you listen to the song, the song is this sort of amalgamation mess of a bunch of different things where Fergie sounds on the one hand, angry and pissed off, where she's, like, just screaming at you. 
And then at the same time, she's like, I want to, you know, go to the club and have a good time. I'm like, so you want to go to the club, have a good time. You're a MILF. And you want to meet some folks that have some money for you, some milk money. It's sort of like milk money. You want to bring the milk money. So it's kind of like... Back to the yard. It's like kind of indicating like, so the milk money, milk money comes from young people, some young boys, I guess, that want to give you some money because you're a milk, because you have milk money. It just... I think it, you're going too literal with it. I, I think you have to when you have a song called for I know, MILF but money. I just think the word... I feel like just the, well, looking at the word milk in general, it's like she... I think that she's trying to just like make a statement about where she is right now which i appreciate that's all like bare bones and the video is fun as hell like it's the video the video i feel like it's like the song is nothing without the video that's basically what i was trying to say earlier it's hard to extract the two because i feel like the video is what the substance is which is super fun and colorful and throwback and 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 just the video Fun. is a piece of eye candy. Yes. Um, and it features cameos from Kim Kardashian, Chrissy Teigen, Sierra, various models. Um, the, the, the video is a, is a high-gloss, uh, eye-popping treat. Now, does that mean it's actually good? Well, that's up to you to figure Once out. Once again, back to the Stones versus Beatles, it's fun. <laughs> the word fun doesn't always mean quality or good, but enjoyable. Back to the fun. Fun. Um, well, you know, I think it's time now for our guest interview with a very fun person. That would be Mr. Daryl Hall, yeah, who well. he gave me a call. Daryl Hall gave me a call, you guys. Well, we, we kind of, we, we orchestrated him <laughs> calling first. It wasn't like he just called her out of the blue. <laughs> this is true. Um, yes, yeah, so I was absolutely delighted to uh, get on the phone with Daryl Hall, and he's actually on a summer tour right now Did alongside John Oates. He always is making my dreams come true. Um, uh, and the tour, it kicked off in Dallas in May and continues actually Tuesday night, uh, tonight, for those of you listening on Tuesday, in New Jersey. Um, and we talked about how they possibly chose a set list from their massive catalog of hits. What's next for his live from Daryl's house TV show and his Daryl's house club where the TV show airs or mm. shoots from and about the recent announcement that the duo is getting a star on the Hollywood walk of fame. Ooh, la, la. So here's our chat with the legendary singer songwriter, Daryl Hall. Daryl Hall, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Uh, hello to you. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we're actually talking to you in the middle of your latest tour with John Oates, which uh, takes you all the way to Hawaii at the end of October. So what has the tour been like so far? Uh, it's been great. I mean, we, we, we sort of go in and out, and with uh, bits of time in between so I can actually do other things, which is uh, equally important to me. But, but anyway, yes, yeah, it's, it's going great. It's, uh, it's uh, you know... Pretty much sold out concerts everywhere, a lot of happy people, a lot of happy faces. It's all good. That sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, how do you choose the set list for your shows at this point? You guys have such a legendary catalog of hit songs, including 22 top 40 singles on our Billboard Hot 100 in the 80s, more than any other act in that decade. And you also have 18 albums to pull from as a group and solo albums from both of you, so it feels like it would be tough to whittle it down for, for a concert. You said it. You just you just described it right there. It's really hard. It, it's 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 a very interesting uh, problem because we we're 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 torn between the idea of, of doing things that are sort of deeper cuts and and things that uh, that I feel are in 
musically just as interesting as the expected songs, but yet we have to play the expected songs as well. In fact, our good problem is we have more, what do I want to say? You just said it, actually. More hits than we have time to play right. in a set. So um, it's sort of a unique problem, I guess, and, and certainly a good problem, but we balance it out. We, you know, we play, we play uh, sometimes we'll add a lesser-known song, uh, uh, and you know, sort of mix it up with with songs that people are are expecting to hear from us. So it's a uh, it's um, as I said, it's an interesting problem. I'm sure it's a treat to the hardcore fans when you pull out like a deeper cut that you maybe haven't performed in a while too. Yeah, we try and do at least one or two of those every every show, and we're actually considering the idea of doing a, a deep cuts tour. You know, oh. where where we. Just, Pretty much, pretty much emphasize those songs and only play a couple of uh, the, the obvious ones. And, uh, but that'll happen down the road. Very cool. And you know, you've been performing live with John since the early '70s. And it, what is it about this pairing that that still works more than 40 years later? Well, it's the songs. It's, it's, it, it always comes down to the songs. There, there's something about them that I am sort of too close to them to, to be able to comment on, but. Uh, obviously, there's something timeless about it, multi-generational. Uh, all I can say is that it's all honesty. You know, I mean, I write from I write from the heart. It's all real, and uh, I think maybe that reality tends to transfer to people's emotions in a certain way that doesn't go out of style or become part of a style. And that's the other thing. I don't think we uh, that either John or I separately or together ever really wrote songs that were sort of. Uh, what's the word, part of an era so much. They're, they, they sort of existed outside of it. So in that respect, I think that it allows us to be more timeless than some acts. Absolutely. And, you know, touring is not easy, and you said that there's still time for you to do your own thing, which is nice, but what kind of personally keeps you coming back out on the road? Well, I mean, I, again, it goes back to the songs. I love performance. I mean, it's my favorite thing is getting on stage. I feel I've said this to other people. I mean, I, I'm more, I'm more probably more comfortable on stage than I am anywhere else. It, it's it's a it's an environment that I've known my entire life, right. and uh, uh, you know I like it up there. It's it's fun, and you know, and and everything else I do outside of that is usually some sort of performance. You know, I mean, I do my life from Daryl's house shows, and that's performance. I do some solo shows, so, so it's all it's pretty much all around. Uh, uh, get in front of people. And you have a lot of great musicians with you on this tour, including uh, Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings and, and select dates with uh, Trombone Shorty and Mayor Hawthorne. Are you getting a chance to check out some of their sets or maybe even jam with them or, you know, hang out with them at all backstage? Well, it's not too much hanging out. I mean, I do see them behind, uh, you know, backstage. Uh, and, and I just saw Mayor the other day. He was, you know, standing by the side of the stage for the throughout the whole set, really. But, uh, but you know, both those acts you mentioned, um, uh, well, two of three anyway, Sharon Jones and, and uh, Mayer, are alumni of, uh, of the Life of Dallas House yeah. show, and I've done tours with them, but, and, and they've become friends. So, you know, we, we know each other very well, and, and I have tons of respect for them. They seem like musical kindred spirits to you, too. Yeah, they are. That's, uh, that's one of the reasons I chose them to... Uh, be part of the, the, the touring uh, show. It, it's they they are uh, different sides. Well, there's three of them, so you can't be two sides of a coin. But they are they you know they certainly share my tradition. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned live from Daryl's house. Congratulations on your 75th episode, by the way. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Well, it's uh, it's, uh, it's been a long, fun journey. It has, and you had um, you had Cheap Trick on that 75th episode. Um, you know, when you started this back in 07, did you ever think you'd be running this long or jamming with fellow Rock and Roll Hall of Famers like Cheap Trick, or did, what were your, you know, expectations going into it? Well, I, I didn't have any. This is, And this is indicative of everything that I do. I don't have expectations. Yeah. I just do it. You know, uh, it, it, I, it, this all started with me and T-Bone Walk saying, you know what, man, you know, the Internet allows this to happen. Why don't we just sit around and play some songs and, and uh, see what happens? And that's how it really started. And then said, oh, maybe we should have some food, too, and have a guest. So it all just happened very organically in, in my house. And uh, like I said, the, uh, the Internet allowed this to happen. If I had tried to pitch this, in fact, I did try to pitch it to television, they just looked at me like I was crazy. They didn't even know what it was. And as it turns out, you know, you have to explain things to people, and uh, then they get it. But, uh, you know, it, it was never really the idea of, like, oh, this is going to be some gigantic concept that's going to, you know, do it, you know, as you say, jamming with um, Hall of Fame people and all that. It was just, you know, getting together with friends and eating some good food. And, I mean, it has had quite the evolution. It started, like you said, online, and it just had people over at your actual house to now you have a music club called Daryl's House. And um, can you talk to me, like, about that evolution of the show so far? Well, it, you know, uh, uh, things tend to evolve in this in this situation. Uh, I, I was doing the show at the house, and then I sold the house, so I had the place to do it. So I, I've always been very partial to clubs. I think that clubs are where the best music happens and I wanted to have a club or a series of clubs and so I created one close to where I live in upstate New York and uh, you know built the place from scratch and, and, and did it and, and now I have these fantastic acts come in and out of there and that's where we do the show now so in, in some sense it still is Daryl's house because you know it's, it is my building it's my house and uh and uh, I plan on opening more of them, so it's it's a great experience. And are there any artists that are still on your wish list for for Daryl's house? Mm. Yeah, not really. <laughs> you know, I, you, you never know. It, it, again, man, I I say the same thing. You never know. It's I get I get sometimes more excited about people that I never even heard of that suddenly say, "Oh, why don't you put this person on?" And I go, wow, man, that was the best show. You know, so I don't have a wish list. You, you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes the, the people that you think are going to be the greatest are not the greatest. You know, there the, are the people that are, you know, it's, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, you mentioned, you know, really liking clubs, and obviously that's why you uh, you started Daryl's House. But um, I was actually lucky enough to see you return to the Troubadour in West Hollywood back in 08, 35 years after yeah. you and John first performed there as an opening act. And I'm so glad that you guys filmed and recorded that performance because even though you have all these huge hit songs, your music works so well in that intimate space. Um, you know, what was well, what was that concert like for you guys getting back there? I think that good music works best in clubs. Uh, it's there's something about the intimate environment, the breaking down of the fourth wall, that allows that to happen. Um, it, 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 when, when, when you're in an intimate situation, there, re, there really is no sense of. I, I'm a, sort of an anti-performer. I don't like. I don't like pretentious performance, and I don't like artists to do that. I like people who are just on stage, just being friendly and, and drawing the audience, making the audience feel like they're on stage with with, with me. And a club allows that to happen. Yeah. Um, 
it's just it's it's a better experience. I think better music comes out of it. And uh, just this week, it was announced that uh, you guys are going to be getting a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. How crazy is that? Oh yeah, you never know what's going to happen. That's <laughs> cool. It's great. I feel like you guys should bring a guitar out and, and play out there or something. I don't know. But you probably don't even know what the <laughs> ceremony is going to be like at this point, I'm guessing. I have not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Daryl, congrats on the t- new tour and all your continued success. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much to Daryl Hall for getting on the phone with us. Um, It was truly a treat, and he did make my dreams come true with that phone call. Um, And I'm looking forward to checking them out at the Hollywood Bowl in September. That was our interview, our one-on-one interview. (laughs) One-on-one interview with Daryl Hall. Um, We didn't do it in a minute, but, you know, we did it in a couple minutes. Oh, man. Um, How many puns could have I worked in from Hall & Oates song titles? (laughs) Look, some things are better left unsaid. <laughs> um, and anyway. Um, I, I, <laughs> and Keith's done now. And I could keep going. <laughs> Although, I would like to continue talking about Hollow Notes if we could, please. Well, we can do that in our chart stat of the week. Um, well, I, I just wanted to sort of expand on uh, their incredible Hot 100 history. Um, because as Katie noted in the show... Hollow Notes had 22 top 40 hits on the Billboard Hot 100 in the 1980s, and that is more than any other act in the entire decade. It is a mind-blowing stat when you think about the artists who were big in the 80s. Uh, Madonna, Michael, Jackson, Michael Jackson, Prince. Elton John, Billy Joel, Prince, Springsteen. Nope. Hollow Notes. Notes. They had more. Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, in... The 1980s, between 1980 and 1990, they had 23 consecutive top 40 hits on the Hot 100. Every single one of their charting singles from 1980 through 1990 reached the top 40. That is unprecedented. So basically, when we talked about those 22 top 40 hits, like basically everything they put out in the 80s reached the top 40. Wow. Plus another track in 1990 that hit the top 40. Um, and this started with actually Wait For Me um, in 1980. It peaked to number 18. And then you went on to um, How Does It Feel To Be Back? You've Lost That Love and Feeling, which was obviously a cover. Then we get into, like, the real... The Hollow Notes staples. Yeah. Kiss On My List, number one. You Make My Dreams, number five. Private Eyes, number one. I Can't Go For That, No Can Do, number one. And then I'll just rattle off some of the bigger ones. Maneater, number one. Uh, one on one, which we talked about a second ago. Number seven, say it isn't so. Number two, out of touch. Number one, and then you know, even in the late eighties, when you know they weren't racking up the number ones anymore, they still had hits with everything your heart desires in nineteen eighty eight, uh, downtown life in nineteen eighty eight, so close yet so far away. Uh, in nineteen ninety, was their last top forty uh, charting, at least in terms of the consecutiveness. That was in nineteen ninety, um, and, and they, they came so close, as one might say. Uh, to having another top 40 hit, the 24th consecutive top 40 hit in 1991 with Don't Hold Back Your Love, it peaked at number 41. Stop. So close. So close. Yeah, so far away. Um, there's there's your chart set of the week. Uh, back in the 1980s, Hall & Oates had an incredible 
23 consecutive top 40 hits from 1980 up through 1990. Man, are they great. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, Katie, do you have any parting words? I mean, which Hall & Oates song are we going out on? Ooh, ooh. (laughs) Um, Look at your list here. We've got 24 to choose Um, from. Well, um, here. I know what I want to choose. Yeah. Well, let's see. Should we say it simultaneously and see if we pick the same one? <laughs> um, all right, ready? One, two, three. I Man can't either. go for that. No can do. <laughs> We're going to go with I can't go for that. We I can, can do. I can go for it. I can do. <laughs> all right, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.